I'd like to ask for a couple of volunteers, maybe a couple of guys that went to Elder the King yesterday, to come up and to pray for aid for us this morning. He's just getting himself a little bit organised, so... Anybody else like to come up? Join Matt? Simon? Fantastic. I'll be there in a minute. He'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Talk among yourselves. Thank you. We can wait. Okay. The more the merrier. Okay. so much for uh, meeting with us here this morning. Lord, we, we, um, we lift aid up to you as he brings your word to us. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the work and the time that he's put into this preach. And Lord, I, I believe that you have a word in this preach for each and every one of us. I don't know where it is, what it's going to be, but something here this morning is going to speak to us and change our spirits and our hearts and our souls. So Lord, we're ready to hear. We thank you for the individuality that you've given each and every one of us and yes. the gifts that you've given oh, yeah. each and every one of us to use in this body of church. Mm. In, our, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Father, I pray that you'd uh, just bless, bless Abe this morning and uh, just anoint him, Father, uh, with your spirit uh, so that he can just be the best that he can. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. run. I think I'm on as well. It's on. <laughs> it's good. Well, welcome everyone. I want to add my welcome, the third welcome to you if um, you're new to church. In the words of the New Testament, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You are welcome here in this building, but also welcome in the presence of God. I believe God loves it when we assemble in his name to be able to draw near to him and be attentive to him and to bring our lives before God and say, Lord, what is it that you want to do with me? And that's essentially what we're doing in the next few minutes is we are going to be opening our lives to the Lord saying something new to us. One of the joys of being a preacher is you get a preparation time. So by the time I've come up here to speak to you, I've already had days of, of chewing on things and the Lord's already begun to speak to me and it's amazing how many things I can quickly get sorted before speaking to you guys um, so that I'm not up here uh, well, I'm as with, a, with as little hypocrisy as possible, let's put it that way. <laughs> we are coming to the end of our enormous series, The Sermon on the Mount. We have been, it's been over nine months we have been in this couple of chapters of teaching because it's been that dense and uh, so I want to take my hat off to you all for sitting through all of that um, and for for persevering with it because some of the words are hard aren't they this has been a hard series there's been a lot of having to deal with forgiveness forgiving from the heart there's been a fair bit of that and uh, learning how the Lord wants us to use our money and learning to be generous learning what prayer is all about how to, be, how to be merciful, how to be humble. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, living with a pure heart, overcoming lust. You know, this is the, this is the, 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 the tricky stuff, isn't it? 
Uh, and we have stayed with this program for a full nine months, so I think it's a wonderful thing. And I, I, I kind of see it almost like pruning words. These are the kind of words that Jesus gave that lopped off the bits that were unhelpful in order that we might be more fruitful as Christians. Because God has a purpose for each of us to be powerfully growing. So there you go. We are rounding off this preaching series, but we're going to continue to build in the same way. This isn't the end of hanging on the words of Jesus, as you can possibly imagine. Um, we are going to be carrying on focusing on what, what the Lord says, because we have a mandate that Jesus gives us through this sermon on the mount to be those who build on Jesus' words, on, on what Jesus says. That is all we've got to build on. And so we're going to continue to do that as a church, year after year after year. And if, if that's not your cup of tea, and actually you're not really here because you want to conform your life to the words of Jesus, then the truth is this, this probably isn't the church for you. Um, because that is going to be something we're always going to do. It's a promise. And we're going to continue to do it. So we've started this whole sort of new chapter of church life when we had uh, a lot of transition back in September with this passion to build as we mean to go on, which is on the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with a huge reality check. We're in Matthew 7, and we're starting from verse 13. And what we're going to read as we read the scripture together is that Jesus gives us essentially three analogies. He gives us an analogy about two paths or two roads. He gives us an analogy of some trees and their fruit. And then he gives us another analogy of two buildings. One that's built on one kind of foundation and another that's built on another. So as we read through, just hear how Jesus is trying to describe to us what our spiritual state is as we read these words. And I'm just going to read it through. Jesus says this, verse, Matthew 7 from, from verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree that bears good fruit, sorry, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." 
Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Ooh. So he's finishing gently. <laughs> That's our passage, people. So there you go. We've got paths and gates. We've got fruit-bearing trees. And we've got building projects. Jesus says, essentially, that there is a gate and a path that leads to life. And there is a gate and a broad road that leads to destruction, and they are easily mistaken. Jesus says there are trees that bear fruit unto life, and there are trees that bear fruit unto destruction, and they look similar. He said that there are houses that are built on solid foundations, and there are houses that are built on shaky foundations, and the houses look incredibly similar until they're tested. The disturbing factor is that the paths, the trees, and the houses all look remarkably alike until the moment when the shaking comes and the, the testing comes. And at that moment, you know whether this is a path of life, a good tree, a solid house, or not. It's very easy to mistake one for the other. And it's quite possible, according to this, to think you are on the right path and bearing good fruit with solid foundations when actually, from God's perspective, you can be coasting down a path to destruction with fruit, the fruit of your life being detestable to the Lord and to discover that when it's too late, your elaborate and impressive life is built on sand and will just not stand up when God's shaking comes and it is thoroughly tested. That is possible according to this passage. That had my attention when I started uh, looking into this. And I kind of felt, okay, Lord, I'm going to preach this. And what I had is an overwhelming sense of re kind of responsibility that as your pastor... I want you all to know absolute assurance of faith. I want you to know that you know that you know that your life is safe. That you have salvation at work in your life. That there is no question about your foundations. There is no question about the fruit of your life. There is no question whatsoever about the path that your life is on. I don't want anyone here to be in any doubt about that. I want you to know that you're on the path of life and for nobody to have any doubts about that. And also as a church, I want us to know, I want us to have that full-blooded conviction 
that the work of salvation is very much here amongst us. There's no room for doubt. So we're going to go very, very carefully through the verses. And by the end of this morning, hopefully, you're going to know either a new or renewed assurance before God, or you're going to know the need to get on the right track. Because that's what I believe Jesus gave these verses for. So the two options may look similar to the untaught eye, but God is kind enough to show us how to spot the difference. He hasn't left us guessing. He wants us to choose a life that has complete assurance and not rely on surprises later down the road. Better to test your life now under these words than to have it tested later and hope for the best. There is, sometimes when an eye is trained, you can know what's coming later down the road with real certainty. I think of uh, people like wine growers, these, real, these uh, real sons of the soil in France. I spent a little bit of time in Pazios, a, farm, uh, a winemaking region. And some of those guys are so wise. They can tell what kind of a grape harvest it's going to be very early on, just by the, the seasons and just by the first miniature grapes that are growing. They could, these guys can tell whether this is going to be a good year or we're going to struggle this year. They know what kind of a harvest is coming because they have a very trained eye. They have devoted their lives to making fine wine. Uh, and so that was their expertise. And you can see it in all sorts of ways. Another thing that popped to mind was that scene in Billy Elliot towards the end. You know when he's going to be part of, is, is it the Royal Ballet Academy or something? And he goes to get tested and he doesn't dance quite properly. Uh, and then he says, you know, when I dance it feels like electricity. Do you remember that bit? <laughs> electricity. Uh, and at that point they, they prick up their attention. They've seen something that they know that there's something in this lad that may form into something. And then you get all the scrutiny where they test his spine and all those things. You see, you see them kind of testing the, the bone structure of these amazing young dancers. And they can tell when they are young and unformed whether they are going to be an expert ballet dancer when they're a full adult. Because they know what they're looking for. And it's a bit like that with the Christian life and with the spiritual life. Jesus wants us to be wise enough to know what we're looking for and to be able to predict what's coming later down the road. We don't often talk about Judgment Day. We don't often talk about the fact that God is one day going to assess the, the, the fruit of our lives. It's not a very popular subject. But it's a reality. The, the, you can't avoid that and believe the Bible. That's coming. But better to know what you're looking for and to, to look over your life now and to make sure that what Jesus says is important is happening in your life. So there you go. Jesus concludes his majestic Sermon on the Mount with some wisdom about how to spot the evidence of eternal salvation and encouragement to stake our lives upon what he's saying. So that's what we're looking at today. So, firstly, we're going to do this bit by bit, and my PowerPoint's going to work, in Jesus' name. Yes, it will. <laughs> we're going to first look at the insecure grounds. What Jesus says we, are illegitimate reasons to think that the saving work of God is at work in our lives, and we are secure in the Lord. Because he lists a lot of them. 
So the first one, let's read verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. So this is the first one, the broad road. This is the first insecure bit of ground that we can be fooled into staking our lives upon. Jesus says this is how it is. As sad as it is, the majority of humanity are happy enough to live without relationship to Christ. I don't believe he said this lightly. I believe he said this with tears in his eyes. Because he was the exact representation of the Father. And he loves every single human being on this planet. And it, but yet he had to explain to us the reality is that it is the minority that find life. The majority of people are not concerned about their standing before God. Sometimes it becomes more important at the last minute. But for most of life, they are not that bothered about their relationship to Christ. The crowds are not interested in the small and winding road that is called eternal life in Christ. Jesus is saying, you know that sense of rightness that comes when you are moving in the same direction of everyone else. When you don't know where you're going, but everyone else seems to, so you follow thinking they all seem to know where they're going, it must be okay. I remember it was like that when I first started secondary school. I'm slightly more organised and with it than I was then, now. When I started secondary school, I was in a complete haze for at least the first half term. I hadn't got the faintest idea where I was going or what I was supposed to be doing. I remember I had a flat top, you know, like vanilla ice. You know, one of them. It's not a good look. Sorry, Simon. Um, <laughs> But um, I was quite proud of it at the time. But what I would do is I would pitch up at school. And for ages, I, I just from one lesson to the next, not a clue where I was supposed to be going. And I learned that there was a few people that seemed to know where they were going the whole time. And as long as I followed one of those people, I'd generally end up in the right direction. And several times, a whole crowd of us just ended up in completely the wrong area of the school. Because we were all kind of following each other. Just not quite sure where we were going. But we were kind of going to our lesson, but we didn't know where it was. And I was, I was a shocker for it. And it took me ages. In fact, they changed the courses. They changed where the rooms are every year. So I had, most years, I had at least a few weeks of this. Just sort of trailing after people. I'm slightly more organised now. But there is a funny security that comes when you're moving in the same direction as everyone else. Because you kind of think, well, they can't all be wrong. Most of the people I know live like I do. Surely... That, that legitimises how I live. Whereas, when it comes to the spiritual life, it just doesn't apply. When it comes to eternal salvation, Jesus says, fight the urge to justify the path of your life in reference to the crowd. The majority are wandering like lemming, lemmings to the edge of the cliff. Oblivious and half-blind, but headed for a sad and sorry end. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't draw security from the crowd. It's an insecure confidence. 
It's a false confidence. So that's the first one. That's the first one that Jesus says, that is not to be your assurance. We're going to come to the assurances, I can assure you. But we're going to look at the the insecurities first. Second one. Let's read. As soon as he has finished talking about this road that leads to life and this road road that leads to destruction that is broad and wide, straight away he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. False prophets. I think in Jesus' cultures, from what I've read... Prophets were held in incredible honour. They were people to be listened to. They were people that carried extraordinary spiritual authority. They were honoured throughout the culture. They seemed to enjoy favour with God. They seemed to be very much in tune with God. They were impressive. They were powerful. They were like an impressive... Jesus says, like an impressive tree. They were the mighty oaks, or the cedars, the spiritual mighty oaks or cedars in their community. They were the giant redwoods of the spiritual community of the time. And there was something about the stature that that would make anybody think, surely that person of all people is favoured before God. Surely that person is a, a brilliant picture of what it looks like to be secure in faith and to have the salvation work of God at work in our lives. They were the ones to emulate. They were surely full of eternal life. But God says, no. Prophecy is wonderful. Prophets are wonderful. They really are. I mean, we, we need prophets to strengthen the church. Any church without prophets is a deficient church. We need the fivefold ministries, as it says in Ephesians. To strengthen and build up the church. And we need the prophets. They're wonderful people. And I'm not knocking prophets for a second. All prophecy. You know I love that. You know I I, I contend for that. But the truth is, it's just not an indicator for, for true spiritual foundations. Jesus said, if you want to check your life for its eternal security, you can't measure it by prophetic gifting or stature. You can't point to anyone's perception of you and say, there's the proof. I'm the real deal. It won't make any difference when it comes to the the important day, what anyone thinks of you, to be quite honest. You can't point to honour, authority, power or stature. None of this matters one iota when it comes to discerning evidence of God's work of salvation in you. God looks for other things. It's not that. Do you want to see some more insecurity? I know you do. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, he will enter. Okay. Are you with me still? You haven't given up yet. 
This is the second tree picture. Claiming that Jesus is Lord with our mouths, but denying him with our lifestyles. Jesus is saying it is perfectly possible to call Jesus Lord, but not live life under his lordship, or have any spiritual partnership with God. I've got a friend that was a college friend, and I'm, I'm going to call him Tim, that isn't his name. And he is a fellow Nam now, which is um, a newly accredited minister. So he's, he's early in his ministry as well. And he's just been put in a church, which I would say are oh, not a church particularly. There are a bunch of people, quite a historic and big Baptist church, um, at, at least this size, where there has just been such strong tradition and such a sense of, uh, this is like a, a, a social club, but also a multi-generational place where we connect with a few other people and we do things in a certain way. Any change he's tried to suggest or any kind of depth of, uh, or, or sharpness of discipleship or spiritual life has been really powerfully resisted and to the point where there's been such powerful lobbying saying we do not want to pray, we do not want to worship in anything other than the, the, the short list of hymns that we always sing. We do not want to reach out. We do not want to move forward. We do not want to scrutinise our lives under the scriptures. And so he's found himself in this position saying, how can I be a pastor of these people? Because the, the agreements amongst them are so powerful. He's actually been signed off work sick on and off for the last six months or so. He's now been taken out by the, the regional minister saying, You're gonna, they're going to kill you over there. You've got to get out. He's now sort of back looking for a church. But there are people out there who profess that Jesus is Lord with their lips and with their, their traditions. And yet inwardly you see so little evidence of a living relationship with Jesus. So little hunger to know him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because we go to church, just because we write Christian on the census form instead of Jedi, <laughs> it doesn't make us spiritually secure. All right? We can call ourselves what we like, but it doesn't necessarily make us a born again living Christian. The tree of your life may have a, a big Christian sign next to it, like they do, you know, in botanical gardens, where you go, I love botanical gardens, I love, you know, Dartington, or there's loads of great gardens in the world, and you go there, and next to each significant plant, there is a plaque, isn't there, and it'll give you the Latin name, and then it'll give you, you know, what it is, and so you can find out what it is. You can, if that's your tree, you can have a plaque that says Christian. But when it comes to looking at the evidence of the life of God in your life, I can tell you that the head gardener is not going to be looking at the plaque. He's going to be assessing the fruit to see the quality and the life that is flowing in that plant. All right? There it is. Calling yourself a Christian 
is not enough. You want some more insecurity? I can feel it. <laughs> three picture number three. Let's read verse 23 together. In fact, let's go from verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What does that mean? It means that signs and wonders are not the evidence that God's looking for either. You can use great power. You can achieve many victories. You can see many signs and wonders, healings and miracles, jaw-dropping displays of the power of God. And I love them, and I know you love them too, and I think they're wonderful, and I will champion that cause as well. Because those are wonderful at building our faith and they are an important display of the gospel of God. Without them, we don't have a full gospel because that's how Jesus came to proclaim the gospel, also with signs and wonders. But when it comes to assessing whether your life is secure in God, your spiritual foundations, you can't point to the signs and wonders and say, look, that proves it. Anyone can use power. Not everyone can live in communion with God. So you can have more miracles strapped to your belt than John Wimber, Reinhard Bonnke and Bill Johnson put together. And it won't make a difference when it comes to assessing the security of your spiritual foundations. God does not see the moving of his power as a guarantor for your salvation. I think of people like Moses. Moses didn't enter, enter the promised land, did he? And I always feel a bit sorry for Moses at that point when he's out there surveying the land. This is the land I was going to bring the people into. You're not going in, Moses. I feel a bit sorry for him. I can imagine his entrance into heaven was kind of a bit glorious anyway. He was all right. God looked after him. And we know he ended up all right because he went and met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's fine. But just think of the miracles in that man's life. You know, everything that he saw in Egypt, all the power, the signs and wonders, the deliverance that he saw, delivering a whole race of people under the, one of the most oppressive regimes that there's ever been. Taking them out, not just clinging to their lives, but with gold and silver and, and hope. And then getting to the Red Sea and parting the waters, leading the whole tribe of people to the other side, and then keeping them alive in the desert for 40 years. There's a man who's got some signs and wonders under his belt. But he wasn't able to point to those as his entrance to the promised land. He wasn't able to hold God to ransom for what he felt he was entitled to because of what he had seen God do. It was all God's work anyway. Moses was just a servant and a friend of God. And I believe he entered his promised land spiritually. But you see my point. We can't point to any signs and wonders. Let's have a look at some building insecurities. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. 
The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. This is about hearing God's word but not acting upon it. It's not enough to listen to teaching. It's not enough to be here this morning and just listen to it, appreciate it, or not, and then just forget it, as though it was never said. It's not enough to know your scriptures and to be able to quote them. Some of the people that Jesus got most cross with were able to do that. It's not enough to be in the crowd around Jesus. The man who built his house on the sand heard the teaching of Jesus. He was there. He was on the mount when Jesus was giving his words. He's saying there's people in this crowd that had just heard from his lips in the flesh on the Sermon on the Mount had heard Jesus' teaching. And he knew even those people. There would be people amongst that crowd that would just let it drop away. He's saying, you can't just listen. You've got to build your life on the words of Jesus. And we're going to, look at, we're going to finish with what that means. A bit more insecurity, I'm thinking. Just to round it off. What about building a successful well-established looking life. You see, all houses built on sand look unshakable until the floods come. You know, there's something about a, a, a big, powerful house that just looks like it's not going to fall down. Jesus is saying there are many who look extremely sorted, well-balanced, strong, attractive lives that will just not stand up to the testing of heaven. What is it that gives you your security? Jesus said there is a day coming when nothing that we have actually built and presented will actually really matter. Only what our lives are built upon is really going to matter. Everything we are, everything we have will be proven to be wonderful or worthless depending on our foundations. It's my job to declare God's word to you today. And the only eternal, secure foundation for your life, given by God himself, is the person and the words of Jesus Christ. There is no other legitimate foundation. He is the rock that most builders reject. But to those who believe, to those who have understood this and grasped it at a spiritual level, he has become the absolute cornerstone. He is the one that sets the trajectory for the rest of the building of our lives. He has become the one that we know we can truly rely on and he is 100% secure. Jesus says every single one of us can have an eternally unshakable life. And let me show you how to spot whether you have that or not. Are you ready for some secure ground now? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. 
secure grounds on which to build your life. Let's go back to verse 14. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are a few who find it. Have you entered into a new life? Those who are saved and secure in God have found themselves set upon a new way. This is what it will be like. Your life now seems to be going in a different direction to most. Is that true for you? Is your life a little bit harder since you found the small way? That's a good indicator that you're on a road that leads to life. Sometimes there seems to be only too few, few, only too few people travelling this road along with you. There's also mountains of the soul on the small and winding road that just aren't there on the big road that leads to destruction. You know, you have to climb mountains that other people don't have to. Things like living without sin. That's a mountain on the road that leads to life. Other people don't worry about that, and they don't have a conscience either. Things like loving people well. Things like forgiving people from the heart in a way that you feel clean before God about that person. That sort of thing. Are there mountains on your spiritual road? If you can identify with this, I want to tell you that you are on the right track. You are on the right track. It is a great assurance that you are on a road that leads well and truly to life. Jesus said that's what it will be like. It will be a small road. There will be a few that find it. What else can give us amazing security? So that's that one. Let's read verse 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. What is the fruit of your life like? Some people are just good fruit people, and being around them is a sweet experience. They're a delight to be around. Think of people who you know, that you just really enjoy being around them. When you're around them, you just feel like you become full of life. You just feel like uh, there is a quality to time in their presence. Especially when you're with them for long periods of time. It's sustainable. People who bear tons of love and joy and peace and patience with you. Goodness towards you. Kindness. They're gentle. Got self-control. People like that. Do you know a few people like that? I think there's one or two people here this morning. You are. You are. Yes. No. <laughs> we, we are blessed to be able to have all sorts of people in this spiritual community that we can say, actually, the fruit of your life is a beautiful thing. And it's a sweetness being around you. You will know people by their fruits. You sense God's presence more when you're around some people than others. Some people, it's more like a bitter fruit, isn't it? Some people, the experience of being around them is, is, sets your teeth on edge. You will know people by their fruits. Are you growing in love? Are you growing in patience? Is there kindness 
and gentleness and self-control and stillness and wisdom and passion for Jesus, is it all slowly growing in your life? If that is the case for you, even if it feels too slow sometimes, be assured that is an indicator. That is what God looks for when he's looking to assess the fruit of your life and he's looking to find evidence of God's saving work in your life. That is what he's looking for. It's not the big prophetic office. It's not being, having, feeling like you have heaven at your beck and call with signs and wonders. It's not the great, big, triumphal power ministries, although those can be wonderful. It is the fruit of the Spirit that God is looking for. It is evidence of his character that is forming in your life. That is what proves you've been born of the Spirit and you are gaining the family likeness. That's what he wants. He says, those who are using God's power without communion with him were dis... Oh, hang on. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. I want to get this one out. I need to read something else first. This is, this is very important. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. These are the people who have done all the wonderful things in Jesus' name, and they point to them as their validation. Jesus says, I never knew you. I was pondering on this. The reason why some who have seen God's power and they are found wanting and are without life in God, the reason he gives is that he never, they never knew him and he never knew them. The reason they're found wanting is because they have a lack of communion and connection with God. What is of supreme importance in the Christian life is not signs and wonders. It is authentic relationship with God. To commune with God in a deep and vital, trusting relationship. To know his still small voice and to respond to it on a frequent basis. Robin was talking a bit about that when we were at Lee Abbey. To attend to the two-way connection with him and to nurture it to its fullest experience. Those who are using God's power without that kind of communion were described as lawless. And actually he uses a similar word, lawbreakers, to those who engage in occult practice. Sorcerers, things like that. You're essentially using illegitimate power because it's not founded in relationship as Jesus used it. He only ever did what he saw the Father doing. His power always flowed from communion. So he was saying, you people who have been using power and gifts but, but have allowed your communion to become dead, that is illegitimate use of power. That is lawless under the law of God. So, practice the law of the new covenant. Abide in Christ. Remain in him. Communion is the thing. If your days are spent seeking communion with God and you know a living relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, according to Christ, you are a good tree. You are a good tree. You are someone who is drawing up from the wells of salvation. Finally, Jesus says, if you want to know that your life is eternally secure, 
and unshakable in life and death, able to withstand anything life can throw up and able to stand under the testing of the Lord on Judgment Day, the Bible says, do the words of Jesus. Let's read verse 24 and 25, which is what this whole preaching series has been about. Therefore, Jesus says, every single one of you here in Totnes United Free Church and around the rest of the world, any ear that would hear the words of Jesus and act upon them, they may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. When the day of testing comes, when the rain falls and the flood comes and the winds are going to blow and slam against that house, it will not fall because it, it has been founded on the rock. Yeah, that's a promise. That is a promise straight from the mouth of him who will one day judge the living and the dead. If you act upon his words, your life will not fall. And he does not break his promises. You can know 100% security in God. 100%. If you are willing to build your life on the words of Jesus Christ. Now some of you might be sitting there thinking, it's my intention, but you know what? I'm not sure I'm that good at building on the words of Jesus Christ. What if what I'm building isn't good enough? Well... None of us are able to build perfectly on the rock of Jesus' words. None of us can do the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. We've not got it nailed yet. I think we've all worked that out through this series. The buildings of our lives are not without defect. But actually, that's not so important. The, poor, the two important things are this. Firstly, that we're building. In order to build on the rock of Jesus' words, you've got to do some building. You've got to spend some time on the rock of Jesus' words. You've got to seek, at least, to build your life on Jesus' words. And that means your daily life on Jesus' words. Are you wanting to build your life in such a way that Jesus' words are forming who you are as a person? You've got to do some building. If there's no evidence of any building on Jesus' words, then you've not built your life on the rock. Does that make sense? You've got to do the building. That's the first thing. But the most, most, most important thing is not what you build or what your house looks like. It's what you built on. It's the foundations that matter. If you want to build your life on Jesus' words... To the best of your ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, your life is 100% unshakable in this life and the next. As a church, let's build our lives together on the teaching of Jesus. It's the purpose that he has for us. And then we will inherit the promise of unshakability together, all of us. Now we're going to take an opportunity to spend some time with this word. It's one of those that could be unsettling for one or two. I hope there's enough reassurance in the signs of life, in the signs of what God looks for in a life, that can give us complete assurance 
that we are, we, our lives are hidden in God and they are 100% secure. But I'm aware there may be a few that think, hmm, I'm not sure that's how I've been building. So we're going to have a song now. Uh, and during this song, it's going to be an opportunity to respond. I thought it'd be great to be able to respond to this before going into communion. Because wouldn't it be wonderful to go into communion together as a church, knowing that all of us are 100% feeling the security of our spiritual foundations. It's a wonderful thing to do. So as the band's set up, let's just, um, let's all stand. And let's pray together. And let's have a few members of the prayer team on either side, because there may be a few people that just want to go and pray about some stuff and just make sure that your lives are secure. And there will be an opportunity for that right now. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you've been sat there thinking, I need to make sure I've got my life on the right path, I want to encourage you not to stay in your seat. This is, a, this is one of those golden opportunities to, to do something about that. And there's no taboo whatsoever in this church about moving, getting out of your seat, going somewhere, asking saying, someone, saying, will you pray with me? Because I just need to get this sorted out. That's what we do in this church, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I do want to thank you that your purpose is for every single one of us to know that 100% peace and security. To have stopped questioning. To have a, a settled, like well-weaned spirit that is no longer clamouring after reassurance, but instead, we know that we know that we know that we are on this path that leads to life. And that we might have such security that we can call out to other people who have not yet heard of this narrow gate that we've found, this life that we've begun with, this fruit that is growing. They don't know yet, and we can just call out and say, I want you to know the same security that I know, because this is the truth as Jesus taught it. Lord, I pray that for each person here, you would just give us the joy of knowing that our foundations are thoroughly established on you. Lord, as we worship now, Lord, would you impress on each of our hearts if there's something we need to do, something we need to get sorted out before we take communion together. But Lord, we do ask for your powerful joy and your powerful peace to pervade this whole congregation that comes along with wonderful security in having our lives founded well and truly on these wonderful words. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.
people. 